I think that um, <clears throat> for about as, as long as I can remember some of my earliest memories and, and um, uh, energy and um, is that I've always that I've wanted to change the world. I feel like like since I was, I had some sense as a, uh, even as a young child, that there was something wrong. Um, and as many of you know, that for me and my <clears throat> childhood led to uh, seeking escape. I've, I've wanted to change the world and, and this kind of feeling of like, if I can't change it, I'll try to escape from it. And this uh, play, I think, that's gone on my whole life, or at least especially the first half of my life, of trying to change the uh, the world in that big, you know, big way, and uh, then often just settling for changing the way I feel because I couldn't change the world and escaping and drugs and and I can remember when I. Um, I feel like the first wisdom, this isn't completely true. (laughs) But I feel like the first wisdom teachings I received uh, was punk rock. Um, And it's not completely true because actually I grew up like hearing stories of the Buddha. But that shit didn't sound like wisdom to me. But when I heard, <laughs> but when I heard the Sex Pistols, when I heard the Clash, when I heard Black Flag, when I heard uh, the f- uh, fierce critique of the ignorance and oppression and um, corruption in the world that like just resonated uh, on such a of like oh yeah these guys are are right this is wisdom this is correct view um, and i you know and that it's not completely true because i also had these seeds planted in me of growing up with uh, you know hearing stories of of the Buddha and the Hindu uh, mythology stories and stories of Krishna. And, um, you know, I, I grew up with that Buddhist, Hindu, Sufi poetry, you know, like I, I grew up in, in a Dharma talk. <laughs> I, grew up, I grew up in one of Vinny's poems. Um, but it didn't, uh, didn't land compassion, kind, it didn't land, but the pain that I was in, uh, the confusion that I was in, the, uh, 
feeling that there's something wrong with the world uh, was <clears throat> supported when I was you know, nine or ten years old and I started listening to aggressive music that was pointing out uh, that there was something wrong with the world and that maybe we could change it. And, you know, kind of anarchy, rebellion, uh, let's, cha- let's smash the system. And, but I, I want to start there because, um, because I feel like that's so central to my experience, and I feel like it's, it's, it was such a doorway eventually to the Dharma for me, and I feel like it's been the dar- doorway to the Dharma for so many of us, of um, getting disillusioned with the world as it is, and uh, seeking some solution. And I feel like for me, the kind of, and for so many of us, the uh, rebellion of that, that wisdom that actually says there is something wrong with the world. This world is filled with ignorance and uh, racism is the kind of substratum of our culture, of our world, maybe, and sexism and uh, classism and ignorance and oppression. And that, that's actually, that's true. That's not, we're not making that up. That's actually discernment. It's true. We live in a, a racist and sexist and classist and a world filled with greed and hatred and delusion. And it manifests in all of these terrible ways overwhelming uh, suffering and inequality and confusion. And when we wake up to that, then there's the big question, what are we going to do about it? When we know that these truths, these realities, we're not in denial, we're not delusional. What are we going to do about it? And it's one of the places where, uh, although some, some would disagree with me, where punk rock wasn't enough because it was so, so good at pointing out the problem but not so great at getting around to the solution. And um, and finding the Dharma out of desperation, out of uh, sort of ho- hopelessness, but I guess. I guess when we're really and totally and completely hopeless that we don't actually uh, do anything, you know, that's when we're inactive or uh, 
uh, I guess there's that that um, inkling of of hope that got me to say, okay, I'll try meditation. And you know, each one of us has our own version of what gets us to gets us here, gets us on the path, gets us on the meditation cushion. The Buddha said that um, he called it faith. I don't particularly like the term faith. I have a, a, a sense that faith, the term faith is often used to mean um, that you have to believe in something that's not true. <laughs> have faith. But of course that's not what uh, the Buddha is talking about. He's talking about that. Uh, what, what gave us the willingness, the confidence, maybe confidence is the better word, to try, have enough faith to say, okay, I'll pay attention to my breath. Let's see how that works. He said it's the faith that leads to the efforts that lead to the mindfulness and the concentration that leads to the wisdom that we seek. But first, we have to have that trust or confidence or hopelessness that gives us a little bit of hope that says, nothing else worked. I think Vinny talked about this last night. And if, if the pleasure worked, none of us would be here. If satisfying our desires, if it was possible, then we wouldn't. But then we we get disillusioned. We say, "Oh, that that's there's not a sensual solution. There's not a material solution." And beginning to practice, uh, we verify through our own direct experience. We become, uh, we have verified faith in how meditation works. You try it. You know it helps on these levels to alleviate some suffering. even if it's the simple uh, kind of relief that I tend to diss on the retreat and say, you know, if you're just avoiding, you're not doing the real dharma. You're developing ignorance. But ignoring is such a relief. Avoidance, concentration, what a relief. And it was really life-saving for me to start meditating and realize for the first time in my life to wake up to, I don't have to obey my mind. I don't have to pay attention to my mind. And what a, um, what a relief that information is. Most people don't know that. <laughs> I didn't know that, people don't know that. Unless you practice some meditation and have some experience this is not common knowledge, I don't think. But as we 
come into practice and we start to see, uh, get some relief and we start to see that this works um, on all of the different levels that it works, we're still left with uh, what are we going to do about the world? Like, uh, when I started practicing, it didn't take away the discernment that there's something wrong with this world or, or my own desire to change the world. And I think a lot of, of what happens for us and certainly what happened and is continues to happen for me is, um, you know, we, we start to see what agency we do have inside of ourselves and how we can actually change uh, our, our relationship to the world. And we can change. Uh, you know, I, was, I was so wanted to end ignorance but I was so ignorant, right? I was, and I, I was so uh, angry about all of the hatred in the world. I really hated hatred. <laughs> and I really, um, was greedy to end greed. And when we, when we come to the practice, we start to see, oh, it's all in, it's all of these things that I, and even the, we start to look at our, our racism, look at our, uh, as a, a white person, as our, at our white privilege, at our unconscious biases or conscious prejudices. and applying the practice to, to really see ourselves clearly and to see uh, how we uh, are on one level or another mirroring what's wrong with the world. It's in us. All of the greed, hatred, and delusion is here. It's right here. My mind. It's a, it can be a, a rude awakening. It's much easier to blame the world. It's much easier to criticize the world. And to also kind of just be like um, a bit hopeless about the situation in the world because it's out there and I can't do anything about it. What can I do about it? And that's part of what I want to explore in this talk tonight. What can we do? What are we doing? How does what we're doing in our practice translate? But when we, um, I know for myself, it was so painful to acknowledge uh, the ways that my conditioning was uh, sexist or racist or um, 
homophobic or and to really take that responsibility and have the uh, painful uh, awareness of like actually a lot of what I've been judging in the world exists right here in my own mind And um, which is uh, un unpleasant Vedana. But it's also uh, when we can change, when we can, when we can see ourselves clearly, then there's actually hope for change, for transformation when we're in denial about it, when, uh, when we won't admit our biases, when we won't see our privilege or, or lack of privilege, then actually we're just stuck. And I feel like this is um, so much of what the Dharma of mind, you know, that this mindfulness and the first noble truth of like, let's look at all of the forms of suffering in our lives and our mind in this world. Let's break all of the denial, all of the ways that we rationalize and minimalize and avoid, and completely turn towards the Dhamma, the truth. And um, and by doing that, and by feeling the regret, the maybe guilt, maybe unworthiness, maybe. Uh, the comparing mind, all of the ways that it uh, can be painful and unpleasant and uh, not, not the best news, a lot of insights, not great news. We call our, our practice the um, path of purification. In that reading, Joanna was sharing with us this morning from Satipatthana. It says that the pure, you know, we purify the mind, and um, you know, w what that means <laughs> is that all of the shit has to come to the surface. All of the, it's like uh, I think, purification is like uh, a clogged toilet. <laughs> And you know what's block, what's what's obscuring, what's blocking? How is uh, craving, greed, lust manifesting in our lives? How is aversion, hatred, uh, lack of compassion manifesting? How is self-centeredness showing up in some of the internal ways? Uh, around how we feel about ourselves, how we feel about others in our relationships, how we feel about our uh, gender or our 
race or our uh, socioeconomic position and really you know, fully embodying uh, what it's like for us in this incarnation, knowing that uh, that this world uh, is not, ha- it's not, there's not equality, there's not, there's not justice, there's not, uh, there's something wrong with how we treat each other with how the world manifests this greed, hatred, and delusion. And what's our place in that? And what's our part in that? And how is it conditioned? My mind. And so these are all of the <clears throat> questions that I'm, been inter- I'm interested in, have been interested in for a long time, and that I feel like is really a part of our meditation not just emptiness, not just, but uh, how is it relevant to how we walk through the world? And how does it help us? How does seeing clearly, we call it retreat kind awareness. And we've said so much about how awareness, mindfulness, will help us see clearly, see the impermanent nature of all things, see how there's no sensual or material solution to uh, end suffering, the Dharma, and uh, how it's not as personal as we tend to take it. There's not a solid, separate, continuous self that is the owner of these thoughts and feelings. And so uh, awareness and then kindness as the attitude that we try, the lens that we try to see clearly through. Seeing ourselves clearly. And even when we uh, wake up to some of our um, biases and isms and we say oh yeah i've got some racist conditioning or some sexist tendencies or some biases or when we and we even those you know ugly truths about ourselves and can we even see that through a kind lens and so yes this is this is part of what's true about my mind and can I have some compassion even for that, even for the ways that I'm part of the problem that I've been critiquing my whole life? Kind, compassionate perspective on the causes of suffering, both internal and external. So much easier said than done, isn't it? <laughs> 
so easy to say it. And to, you know, for all of us to be like, yep, that's what we need to do. <laughs> yeah, kindness, that's love, that's the solution. People write some great songs about it. <laughs> but to really embody it is what we're doing here. I, I believe it is what the Dharma does when we practice thoroughly and deeply. Uh, we embody kindness. And we start to have more ability to respond appropriately, wisely. I still want to change the world. And um, I know I still have <clears throat> plenty of work to do in here, and that we all do. Uh, we have our inner work. Often we say, uh, we practice for the benefit of all living beings. And there's a, um, what I might call a bodhisattva ethic that says that uh, I will continue to, to practice until, uh, until, we cause, until we create a positive change, until we free ourselves and help others to, to end the internal suffering of greed, hatred, and delusion, and the external suffering of greed manifesting as racist policies or institutions or hatred manifesting as class <coughs> warfare or policies, um, political parties. And so I've been reflecting today on this aspiration that I've uh, had now for, well, I think, pretty solidly for about 25 years. Uh, may I practice for the benefit of all living beings. May I use my life's energy to um, be of service and to create a positive change on this planet. 
And I think I, I don't know at what point I shifted from the full bodhisattva until every single last being is liberated. To at some point I kind of got like kind of downshifted to just like, can we just create a positive change? <laughs> I sort of <laughs> little complacency or something from from I know when I was in my twenties and I just I thought like I'm gonna like I felt like a spiritual superhero. It's going to change the world. And I've, you know, what I was looking for in punk rock, I found in Buddhism. And I'm going to be a bodhisattva. And I'm going to change till every single last being is liberated, till the last blade of grass. And then at some point, I was like, wow, if we could just have a little less. <laughs> Less ignorance, less suffering, less confusion, just a positive shift in this generation and this culture. And maybe, I'm not sure if it's happening or not. Sometimes it feels like there's some real progress, and sometimes it feels like we're so stuck in, in our culture. And uh, maybe that's even worse in some ways. I like the, um, I look at Steve down here on my left. He's my Zen friend. I like the Zen bodhisattva vow the best. Where they have, I think they have a sense of humor about it. Or a, a kind of acknowledging the impossible feat that we're intending. And they say, beings are numberless. I vow to save them all. (laughs) Suffering is endless. I vow to end it all. And I don't know if they're trying to be funny or not, but... (laughs) But I like it. Because it feels a bit, it feels so, so big, like, like so impossible. Um, and yet, uh, we are all on one level or another committed to this effort. Uh, and whether it's the end all suffering or it's uh, create a positive change and have a bit more wisdom and a bit less confusion wherever on that scale your own aspiration lies. I feel like it's completely uh, natural to come to the Dharma for self-help motivations. I am suffering. I don't want to suffer so much. Maybe this shit will help me not suffer so much. But if you continue to practice, at some point, actually, a lot of the suffering gets alleviated. 
a lot of it. I mean, it really, suffering decreases and decreases and decreases and joy increases and increases and ease and happiness really increase and unhappiness really decreases and they both still coexist <laughs> and there's still some unhappiness and there's some uh, difficulties of course continue the pain is you know not negotiable but there's a shift that happens from I'm here for myself to this ethic of uh, this intention of for the benefit of others, for the benefit of all. And of course there's the um, truth that as we as individuals suffer less and have more and, and then in, in become less uh, harmful to ourselves, more loving, more kind, and more uh, aware of our privilege or our biases, and we become uh, better allies, better uh, friends, uh, better uh, lovers, as Vinny called us last night. How dare you? Better lovers. And we, uh, so we suffer less. And, and just in that way, I feel like that. So, like, just imagine me and Vinny if we didn't meditate. None of you would be safe. <laughs> Imagine us here, your rooms unlocked. <laughs> and so there is a way where just our personal uh, transformation helps decrease the suffering in the world. Um, and it's a huge ripple effect. And I don't know that it's enough. It's, it's a lot. I think it's a lot. And I don't want to judge it or enough, not enough. But I feel like there's so much more to do than that. And uh, I often reflect on how the Buddha uh, coming to awakening, he didn't just... He didn't just teach meditation. He uh, fairly consistently spoke out against racism and the caste system, the racist structure of his society. He was very politically engaged on that level and was really engaged in, in breaking down what was a racist society, which continues to be a racist society. But he wasn't quiet about it. He addressed it in his teachings and, and, and to the people of privilege that would come to hear his, his teachings. He spoke to them about it. And he formed a diverse, inclusive 
community that included uh, the untouchables and, and, and the Brahmins, every, you know, every level of, the, of this culture, from the privileged to the oppressed. And, and he spoke out against uh, sexism in so many ways, and many would agree that he was maybe one of the first uh, in the Indian uh, lineage to really uh, acknowledge women's ability or, or divinity. I don't, I don't really like that term, divinity, but uh, equality, I guess, is <laughs> really the term. Yeah, and, you know, up to that time, women weren't uh, seen to be able to even come to awakening. There was such a, a patriarchal, sexist structure, and uh, weren't allowed into some of the temples and all of that stuff. And and the, and when when questioned about it, the Buddha said, "Of course, women have the same. We're not these bodies." It's not our identity on the ultimate. And of course, your gender does not dictate whether or not you can see clearly and respond wisely. But the structure of that society was such that they were teaching that uh, you could not come to awakening in a female form. And some, you know, this, even though the Buddha was radical and a revolutionary and a political activist and his awakening really was for the benefit of all living beings and he was engaged um, one scholar houston smith said he, he said his sense was that as soon as the buddha died they started changing his going against his wishes and the the patriarchal system and some of the racist uh, stuff started coming back into Buddhism. And that a lot of what we inherit as modern day Buddhism has a lot of that dogmatic, sexist, and, and maybe even racist stuff in it. A friend of mine was just in Burma and she sent me a picture from the Buddhist temple she was visiting where there was a big sign, no women in this inner sanctum. She's like, this shit still happens? Women still can't go into this part of the temple, only the men. And it wasn't like the monk's dressing room or something. It was, it was actually just like part of the... And yeah, this shit still happens. Vinny... Uh, shared a quote earlier that he saw on Facebook, and I'll probably botch it, but it said something like, um, in, uh, in the face of uh, oppression, uh, when you choose neutrality, you are um, standing up for the oppressor, Rather, instead of the victim, that neutrality, choosing to not be engaged, to not act, to say I don't have a opinion, 
is a, a kind of a vote for the oppressor side when you don't stand up for the those who are being oppressed. Did I totally botch it? No. Close enough? Eli Wazel. And um, and I think that I'm I'm often guilty of uh, the the privilege of being neutral and of actually taking not taking as much action as I'd like to take, and not being as vocal as uh, I could be, not always taking the opportunity to be an ally or to be engaged even though it's my uh, belief, even though it's my intention, even though it's what I think is right, and, and looking at how often fear or self-centeredness or complacency gets in the way of bringing kind awareness into action and off of the cushion and into uncomfortable conversations and to really practicing right speech and to really showing up in relationships and you know there's that um, these two people used to wear those bracelets WWJD what would, what would Jesus do? <laughs> Thinking about that what would the Buddha do? What would the Buddha do around the election? <laughs> My friend was visiting. He's a Tibetan monk. He was visiting here the other day, and he said, pretty sure if the Buddha was around these days, he'd say, fuck. I'm not sure, but... <laughs> For the benefit of all living beings, our practice. Uh, and we have so much uh, work to do inside ourselves. And you're still in retreat, and so I'm not trying to get you into planning mind or the world, but um, I just want to share with you that I, I do believe that what we're doing here has uh, really radical implications for creating the, the positive change in this in this world, from the inside out, and that we really have to embody kindness towards ourselves, compassion towards ourselves, forgiveness towards ourselves, and seeing clearly and taking full responsibility for the ways that our conditioning is, in, is confused or is ignorant or is 
biased in whatever ways. And then we can really uh, be a positive force. But we also don't have to wait until we're enlightened, until, you know, we don't have to wait in order to. I was speaking to somebody today who was suffering a bit from um, perfectionism. And uh, my advice to her was, um, like, it's okay to, to make a mess, to be good enough. And to, it's totally okay to fuck up <laughs> while we're trying, right? While we're trying to create a positive change. And of course we're not going to do it perfectly because we're not uh, awake all the time. And so we're going to sometimes say the wrong thing and do the wrong thing and um, even with, with good intentions. But then, then we have the forgiveness and the amends and the, to clean up the messes that we make while we're trying to. use our life's energy to alleviate suffering, both inside and out. Probably cause a little suffering around, along the way. And I, I don't know, I just, I surrendered to that fact a long time ago. Like, I am totally not going to do this right. But I'm just going to keep trying. I'm not going to give up, even though I'm not going to do it right. I don't have any um, uplifting stories to share with you. But I do have a core sense that I hope is being transmitted that uh, what we're doing in this retreat, in this practice, on this path, is so important. It's so important and that, um, and it's so practical, these instructions of pay attention, see clearly, try your best to be kind and compassionate and forgiving and eventually it, it happens. And then there's these rippling effects of how it affects our family and our friends, and our culture, and our society. And that it is an engagement. It's not an escape. It is uh, about confronting ignorance, internal and external. So getting, uh, so sitting together for a few minutes and gathering
the merit thus far accumulated in your heart, your mind, your life. and extending it outward in all directions. May our practice be for the benefit of all living beings. Beings are numberless. May we endeavor to save them all. Suffering is endless. May we endeavor to end it all. Thank you uh, for your reflection. As they say, take what you like, leave the rest. Do as you see fit. And uh, time for some walking practice and a final sitting.